Everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. And the people in the city of Syracuse, there are good people here, but a lot of people feel disenfranchised and marginalized. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. The city of Syracuse is searching for a new leader, and there are a number of individuals who have declared their candidacy. Anyone living in central New York has a vested interest in who will emerge as the victor, including yours truly. I've had the good fortune of speaking with a few of the candidates, and I'd like to share those conversations with you. Our next candidate is also a Syracuse native, whose election would be historical if he becomes mayor. Alfonso Davis, born and raised here in the city of Syracuse. I'm running for um, mayor of Syracuse. This is uh, my third run. I believe the third time is the charm. I had increased my percentage uh, each time I ran. But the, the largest part is just getting people to understand that in order for you to see the individual that you would like to see in November, you must vote in September. And so we're going to do everything we can to get the turnout for the September primary. And I am believing that uh, we will be victorious. It will be significant. I never really thought about it to the degree until I was hit with the question by um, Dan Cummins that when elected, I will be the first African-American elected to the office of mayor in this city. That is significant. I'm not running on being the black mayor or the first African-American mayor. I'm running to be the mayor. But I do understand history. And it is no doubt in my mind that I will be a great mayor because I believe in surrounding myself with people who are as smart or if not smarter than I am to run an effective and efficient uh, government for the people of the city of Syracuse. Sure. And, you know, definitely race aside, what do you believe would be the necessary qualities for an effective mayor of Syracuse in particular? And Talk a little bit about those qualities that you possess. You mentioned it, surrounding yourself with good people, but what else would it take? Well, I think it takes a person who has, uh, who's a visionary, who sees beyond the scope of what's in front of them. And how do you envision your city working for everybody versus just some of the people? And if you don't have a mayor with a vision, you know, the Bible says, for a lack of vision, the people shall perish. You know, so you must have a vision. I think it takes a person with vision. I think it takes a person with the leadership skills, the ability to lead, and also to be led. So visionary, leadership, and a person with purpose. You know, uh, how do you tie all these things together um, to help move a city forward in the right direction? Are you approachable? You know, can you, you know, be charismatic enough to understand that you have to work with everybody in your city, no matter their racial background or their economical background or their social makeup. You have to be able to work with everybody. And I believe that I possess those qualities, understanding the nuance of the, uh, of the city finances, being in the financial world you know, um, that I'm currently in, and having a, a sense of how that works. And, and how your rating as a city goes, you know, the city's rating and where you rated at. 
each metropolitan city has a rating, it's almost like a bonding rating, that you're rated of your wealth, you know, and understanding that and, and how do you increase it to a level that, you know, if you had to, you know, leverage some things for the, you know, to help move your city forward, you know, being able to do that, you know, so there's a lot of qualities that I possess that I think qualifies me, more than qualifies me to run this city, this municipality, in a way that's going to move it from its current state to a much better state. Sure. What is the city's rating currently? I mean, maybe not into specifics, but below average, above average, at average, as compared to upstate cities. And what would be specific ways that we could improve that rating? Well, um, right now, the, uh, we're average to below average. Um, and, and you improve that rating by doing things that is going to spur economic growth throughout the city. You know, we can't have pocket growths. You have to have growth that is reaching those neighborhoods that have kind of been left behind. And when you do that, when that type of economic growth is systemic and it goes beyond just pockets or certain corridors, that increases, you know, the city's rating. It, it shows that the city is moving in a direction that is allowing economic growth to happen, not just in certain areas based on the geographical area code, but it's actually moving into those other communities that have kind of been left behind. You know, so last year when we had bought Dr. Jaworski, Paul Jaworski from Rutgers University, who did the study on the city of Syracuse, and not just the city of Syracuse, but metropolitan cities throughout the country, and he, his report came back and said Syracuse, for a city of its size, was the poorest among its African-American and Hispanic community. Well, that is not good for you know, your city rating. It says that there's something fundamentally wrong that's being done in the city of Syracuse. And is that by design or is it by happenstance? And so we have to look at that and deal with that from a pragmatic perspective to tackle it, to say, how do we change that? You know, how do you begin to work to change that, to turn that around so that you can do some things that is going to increase your rating and move your city in a direction of prosperity or incremental steps of prosperity? And it's not an overnight process. It's something that's going to take visionary, planning, leadership, and skill set to kind of begin to set the tone so that those things can uh, go into motion. So if you were elected, what would be, uh, and this may be one of them, uh, your three top areas of focus? When I'm elected, when I'm elected, the, um, uh, the three, and, and, and they, this question has been put at me um, I'm sure as others a lot. What is the first thing or what is the primary thing? And, and for me, that <clears throat> there really isn't a first because there's so many things that need to happen. And so I'll say that there are things that need to happen in tandem. When we talk about identifying the fact that for a city of our size, we have the poorest in the nation among our African-American and Hispanic community. Well, how do you deal with that? I have a vision on how to deal with that is supporting small businesses systemically from start to success or from where they currently are to moving them to greater success. If you look at every metropolitan city throughout the United States, 85% of their workforce is small business. So if we can turn around the perception in the city of Syracuse that 
doing business in Syracuse is a good thing and that we are business friendly and we can help alleviate some of the unnecessary things that a lot of the small business guys go through that they've told me about personally in this city, a lot of the red tape, a lot of the unnecessaries that prohibits them from growing or prohibits them from even moving forward. If we can alleviate some of those things and they can know for certain that my administration is about helping them grow, the only thing that I ask them to give me back is that when you hire, hire locally so that we can begin to deal with this issue of poverty in our community by creating jobs. Now, does this say that I'm not focused on large businesses and I don't want large business and corporations here in the city of Syracuse? Absolutely not. When you have strong small businesses, some of the larger businesses, that you may be a supplier to that business. So it kind of helps that business grow along. The larger corporations and businesses, we want them to grow as well because they can help become some of the driving factor of how do we alleviate some of the poverty within our community. You know, my goal is to sit down with every business individual in this community, large and small, and let's look at how we can strategically increase or fill those gaps that they currently have in terms of filling employment spots with the people in our city through train and retain. I don't want to just create a position for somebody to go and work. I want to create a career path for our, the people in our community. And with uh, some of the larger companies or larger businesses in this city, like Syracuse University, Lemoyne College, the hospitals, St. Joe's, Upstate Cross Irving, those are particular industries that can create career paths. Right now, they don't currently recruit people from the city of Syracuse. They go elsewhere to recruit. Well, why not recruit the people that's right in your backyard that we can help train so that you can retain them? So that's sort of like a multifaceted fix to our issue, supporting small businesses systemically. Then we can get at dealing with the poverty issue by creating jobs for people within the city of Syracuse, which then goes into our Syracuse City School Districts. One of the good things that they put in place is a vocational piece. But the problem with that vocational piece, they have like 25 different vocations, but only four of them offer certificates. So as mayor, and not just mayor, what I'm doing, I'm actually working on a letter right now to send to the Commissioner of Education in the state of New York to encourage them to qualify at least 15 of those 25 vocations that the district offers to at least qualify or certify at least 15 of them so that our young people can go from the classroom right to the workforce. So you graduate from high school and you have a certificate that says, I'm a welder, I have a trade of welding, or I have a trade of, of auto mechanics, or I have a trade of air conditioning. Those are some of the trades that the district offers, but they're not certified trades, meaning they don't walk away with a certificate. It just says, I've done this work, or I've dibbled, dibbled and dabbed in this a little bit, but I have nothing that quantitates my ability to go from the classroom right into the workforce that I can become a productive employee to some company or corporation immediately. Well, that's one of the things that I will do when I become mayor, but we're actually working on it right now to say to the state of New York, you know, to help decrease the poverty within our communities, 
let's increase these certifications within the district so that our young people can be workforce ready. I'm a huge component of Say Yes Education, but you know, like I know, not all young people are college bound. And with that being said, why not give them a skill so that they can go from the classroom right to the workforce versus currently a lot of our young people are going from the classroom to the streets to prison. So we have to create a different pathway and other options for our young people who are not college bound. And then for those who are college bound and go away to school, we want to create an environment where they can come back. And if we create that environment, then we'll get a lot of our young people coming back home to be workers within this community to help move our city forward in terms of upward mobility. I know that recently, Jaime Alisea had become the superintendent. Mm -hmm. uh, have you had the opportunity to discuss his thoughts in terms of the pipeline to the workforce for Syracuse City School Districts? I, I have. I, I met with, I met with uh, um, Superintendent Jaime prior to him becoming the permanent superintendent when he was uh, interim. And um, we have a scheduled meeting now that he's actually the superintendent. And that's one of the things that I said to him, is that this is my vision. I've known uh, Jaime for some time. He and I worked in a district together. We actually worked together. And he agreed, and he said that he would welcome me sending a letter to um, the Commissioner of Education to increase those numbers of certifications for the vocational program. I don't know if you remember uh, my previous runs, I've always talked about a comprehensive vocational program. That is something that is critically needed in this city. So we have to create a workforce ready people. And you do that by having a comprehensive vocational program. And Jaime understands that. And he agrees with me completely. Um, and so I'm hoping that you know, we can get the commissioner of education in the state of New York to agree and help us move towards certifying at least 15 because they offer 25 different vocational programs. Currently only four of them are certified. I would like to get somewhere near 15 or 20 certified so that we can increase the probability of young people going from the classroom right to the workforce right here in Syracuse, New York. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit to the Consensus Commission's report. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. And I'd like to know your thoughts about the Consensus Commission's report and what your approach would be as mayor to any sort of metropolitan government. Specifically, I read the entire report. I would reject page 50. That is complete consolidation. I was at the county execs, uh, Mahoney, State of the County's address, and I heard the numbers and I heard that I saw the dollar amounts that she put up. And I, and I would say this, you know, they're saying that we can save $33 million from a full consolidation. But what they haven't put on the table is the school system, firefighters and policing. Like, how does that work? I am completely against consolidation, but I am definitely for streamlining certain services so that we can save money. And from what we've looked at, based on what the report says, we can save anywhere between three to nine million dollars just by streamlining certain services without a full merger. 
I'm against the merger for various of reasons. One is the tax base in the city of Syracuse. How is that going to affect the people in the city of Syracuse? One. Two, currently we have 48 to 49% of the people paying 100% of the taxes. So we already have a physical problem that we need to address right now. Making it larger doesn't help the problem. Making the base larger doesn't help the problem. The schools, they didn't put that on the table. And I asked, why was that not on the table? And the first words out of their mouth, commissioners, former Congressman Walsh. Well, you know, Alfonso, if we put that on the table, it would have died immediately. No kidding. Because those individuals, and when I say those individuals, people in DeWitt, East Syracuse, Manoa, Marcellus, Fayetteville, Manless, those communities, if they had put the districts, the schools on the table, that would say this, that young people that lives on Fitch Street on the west side, or Baker Ave, or Palmer, or Wood Ave, or Carvin, or Didima, that you can just choose to go to JD, or you can just choose to go to Liverpool, or you can just choose to be bused to FM. Those communities wasn't going to have that. They just wasn't going to have it. And so one of the commissioners told me, well, that would take a commission within itself. Well, then let's do it. Because if we're talking about really being transparent, if we're talking about true consolidation that is going to benefit the entire region, then we got to put everything on the table. And because they're not willing to put everything on the table, I'm completely against it. I'm encouraging the people in my community, in this city, and people in the county are against it. Because you have to look at it from a practical sense, that if we're going to merge and we're going to become a metropolitan government, then everything has to be in play, not what's comfortable, not what fits you best, but everything has to be in play. And because everything is not in play, I'm not at all for the merger. And I've spoken adamantly against the merger. But again, I must be clear that I'm completely for working with the county exec to do things that we can share costs with so that we can, again, streamline certain services. So there are things that we can do in tandem. I know the water piece, that already has taken place in terms of the merge. We can do the same thing with our waste. They did some things with the purchasing. So there's some things that we can do to kind of streamline services that we can work in tandem. But a complete merger, I'm against. And the, the, the last thing, and I know county exec had pointed this out. Someone said that, you know, black power would be gone. These are her words. It's county exec words that somehow you would lose black power in the community. And I would agree because she said that's not true. Well, that is true. Because in the city, the majority of the voters are African-American. If we go to a full merge, right now we have 100% voice. We go to a full merge, we move to 13%. That means that the surrounding counties will have the leverage. The city won't have the leverage. And to me, that, that math just does not you know, equate to something that I can live with. Well, I think another piece of that is that the city is in large part Democrat. Yes. And the county is in large part Republican. 
Absolutely. So that also has implications as well. Absolutely. And that speaks to that percentage that I just talked about uh, in terms of what you just pointed out, the fact that the county is predominantly Republican, the city is predominantly Democrat. That ties perfectly into the concept that I just laid out. And so we can't limit our voice even though the city encompasses the county and the county encompasses the city, so we should work in tandem, but we can't neutralize the voice of the people of the city who's been neutralized for a very long time, a very long time. You know, so again, I can just say emphatically, I'm against the merger. Okay. Let's talk about public safety. Now, you know that um, Police Chief Fowler has stated publicly that when Mayor Minor steps down, he is basically going to step down as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a specific person in mind, but tell me a little bit about the qualities uh, the next police chief of Syracuse would have. As mayor, you would have the responsibility of appointing that person. Who would they be? I will do a national search. And the qualities for me, um, I mean, I'm going to be very clear, is that you have to be like-minded. And what do I mean when I say like-minded? You don't have to think like me, you don't have to act like me, but you have to have a perception of a community, of all communities like mine, is that everybody in this community is a valued stakeholder. Everybody in this community is an asset and not a liability. And that you work from the premises as chief is that you are a law-abiding citizen first until you demonstrate other. So for me, when I say like-minded, my chief, the chief that I choose, that we choose, has to have come from that line of thinking in terms of seeing the community as a whole and not, you know, this community is considered this derogatory language or message that has actually gone over the airways in our police, Syracuse City Police Department. When they go into certain communities, they've labeled them as, you know, I'm going to the jungle or I'm going to, you know, uh, where the beast are and things of that. No, my police chief will not tolerate any type of verbiage from anyone on the force. You know, we have to understand that you are here to do a service, to protect. You are an officer, not an overseer. And so my police chief will understand it from that perspective, that he is the officer to serve and protect, not overseer to oversee and rule and dominate a community. And I'm going to do something that's slightly different. I want to engage the community on the selection of chief. I think that, I think that would would be very interesting for this community, for this community in particular. You're from Syracuse. Mm -hmm. You've been here your entire life. What do you like about Syracuse? I, I love the Cuse, man. I, I'm hopelessly in love with my city, man. Um, you know, there's so much potential. I mean, we live beneath our potential here in the city of Syracuse. We really do. Just in terms of being centrally located, like you can literally reach eight to ten different metropolitan cities within six to eight hours from Syracuse. Which to me, when I'm when I'm mayor, I'ma taught that I'ma taught that as a 
you know, as a factor. You know, um, the fact that we literally have the best water in the country. And I used to think when I first ran that we had the best water next to Alaska. But then I was corrected by some people in uh, Skinny Atlas and professor at SUNY ESF that know Mr. Davis, we have the best water bar none. When I become the administrator of this municipality, that's gonna be one of my selling tools to attempt to get companies and corporations to consider using Syracuse as a place to produce your products or your goods. That one, you can reach you know, eight to 10 different metropolitan cities within six to eight hours. Two, we have the best water bar none. And we are a business friendly community. So those are some of the things that I like about Syracuse and the people in the city of Syracuse. There are good people here, but a lot of people feel disenfranchised and marginalized. But at the end of the day, there are good people here. You know, and, and I like, you know, even though we got a lot of snow, <laughs> we've had a lot of snow over the past few days, but overall this has been a good winter. You know, if you've been in Syracuse any significant amount of time, you have to admit that we haven't had what we could have had. Very true. You know, and I know we've made up for something for some of it in the past few days, but I like the changing of the seasons. I like the summers. And then I like the fall. And I like the winter. And and it's a good thing because this frigid cold kills a lot of germs, a lot of airborne germs. So, you know, I love my city, man. Okay. Well, what, what would you see as some of the problems, and some of the big problems that you've observed over your lifetime as you lived here? Some of the biggest problems is a lack of opportunity and access to opportunity. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot, is having access. You know, having the opportunity to do if you choose to do. And taking the sense of hopelessness to a sense of hope and belief that, you know, you know what, I can do X, Y, and Z. I can do better. You know, because here's a mayor who supports the idea of me wanting to change my community by infusing myself into whatever. I just believe. I just believe that we can do better. We should expect better and we should want better. And that comes from the leadership. It starts from the top down and then you work it from the bottom up. Because when you lift up the very least of them and you show them that you know what you can do and you can become and you can achieve, as they rise up, everything else moves higher. Because this administration is working toward bringing back an entire community and not just certain segments of the community. Downtown is great. They've poured resources into downtown. But what about the connective corridors? I consider Syracuse the heart of the city. Downtown is the heart. And if the heart is strong, then everything else should begin to get strong as well. But if you're not putting any resources in the other places, those other connective corridors, they will be riddled with crime, poverty, hopelessness, that will eventually find its way to the heart. So if we really want to move our city in a direction that is about prosperity and hope and promise, 
then we got to reach out to those connective corridors. And that's the south, north, east, and west. And inject resources into, into those communities to help lift the tide. I could do that. I truly believe I can do that. You mentioned really being a mayor of all the people. And my next question speaks to some of the conflict that you might experience, and I would like to know how you would deal with it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Mayor Miner has stated is her plans to keep Syracuse as a sanctuary city. When you're elected, will that be your plan as well? And the second part of that question is, how will you defend your position? I've been asked that question quite a bit lately. I've spoken to some immigrants, specifically. And quite honestly, they don't like that banner being taunted and raised. Sanctuary city. This is a sanctuary city. Because I'm quoting, he said to me, and this is a guy who works in my business. You know, he doesn't work with my company, but he works in the same business. He said that it brings unnecessary attention to him and his people. We go to work, and this is him speaking to me, we go to work every day just to make it happen, just to get along. We don't need uninvited or unnecessary attention being brought to us. He said, I don't want anyone over here from my country or any other country doing any criminal acts or doing anything that's illegal. And neither do I as mayor. But if the immigrants that are here are not creating those problems, then we don't need ISO to come in and say, okay, we have a young man who was deported and is back in the city of Syracuse and just committed another crime because he was deported. If we don't have those issues, why raise the banner for an issue that we don't have? This is not to say that I won't support and that I don't support our immigrants and our Muslim brothers and sisters, because I do. But this is to say that while she's busy taunting this sanctuary city, Syracuse is still leading in poverty amongst this African-American and Hispanic community. I believe a greater focus can be focused on how do we change that? How do we help the people who are already here, who are dealing with issues that they've been dealing with over the years? So my focus is not taunting Syracuse as a sanctuary city. My focus is taunting the city of Syracuse and the people in the city of Syracuse as my primary focus and my primary concern. And on the other side of that, this current administration is claiming to withhold federal dollars. So if we don't need to be taunting that banner, why are we? And at what expense? Because if this current administration withholds federal, and you're talking about anywhere between 25 to 51 million dollars, that affects those people who I just talked about, who've been here all their lives, directly. Not indirectly, directly. So you've run for mayor a couple of times. This is your third time. Mm -hmm. You said that the third time is a charm. Tell me about some of the takeaways that you've received from each of your campaigns and how you're incorporating those learnings into this particular campaign. Excellent question. I mean, all your questions were, were excellent questions. You know, the first time I ran, you know, I, I was known 
but in the fourth district. I mean, people knew me through the city just because of the work I've done, you know, um, certain pockets. You know, a lot of people didn't know that, you know, I was one of the individuals who organized the uh, march down at the public safety building when Joey Flores was murdered, you know. Um, and I did the same thing when Hutt Mene Williams was murdered. Um, I was one of the individuals that went after the banks in the city of Syracuse because of the redlining that was going on specifically here in the city of Syracuse. You know, um, those are some of the things that I've done, and I can go through a litany of that um, because I've done a lot in this community. But the first run was really, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I really thought that I, I was going to, I thought that, okay, this is my time. We just, just elected the first black president of the United States of America. You know what I mean? And, and America was moving, you know, with that sentiment and that it would, you know, spill over here into the city of Syracuse. But, you know, unbeknownst to me, you know, um, you know, as we talked earlier, uh, prior to the, um, uh, the recording of this conversation, about some of the things that happens in communities, you know, amongst, you know, the very same people who you would think that would be supportive, particularly, you know, people within your own, um, your own communities. Um, you know, so when the fiery darts start coming, you know, you're just like, wow. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. You know, I didn't see that one coming. And so you have to prove yourself to your own community. And this is what I find interesting about that. You know, we will allow somebody else to come in our community. And we will automatically say that because they chose to run, they qualify. But when one of us, when our own decides, we're like, okay, can you jump over that fence? How high can you jump? How fast can you run the 40? How quick can you write a 100-page essay? We start setting up these artificial barriers for people within our own community. But we'll tell somebody else, oh, you're golden. You're the one. And I, 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 revert, I use that example to, and then I'll be a little bit more specific, you know, one of the things that I heard was that, you know, he's never held public office, you know. And so I said, I find that interesting. Because we elected somebody who ran for Congress, and they never worked in the political process, let alone held a public office. But our community voted for him. And not once did they question his qualifications. Not once. We've elected somebody who never worked in the political, and I've been doing this for 30 years, so I, I know what I'm talking about. The person who ran for Congress never worked in the political process. Ran for Congress, we elected him. But we never questioned his qualifications or skill set to be our 24th congressional congressperson. Last I checked, that was higher than mayor. Someone ran for state senate. They're currently in the state senate. Never worked in the political process. Ever. We elected them. Not once did we question their qualifications or skill sets. Not once. I run for mayor. Everything about me is questioned. 
And because I didn't hold public office, I wasn't qualified. And so I would put it back to him. Well, did you vote for this person or that person? Well, yeah, I did. Well, what made them qualify for that position? It was an answer they couldn't even answer. The other thing was that, oh, he doesn't have enough education because I have my bachelor's and, you know, I have some graduate work. Last I checked, all you had to do was be 18 and a citizen. But I do have education, but they said I didn't have enough education. But one of our previous mayors have a GED, and we elected him. Not once, twice, and not one time did we put them through the scrutiny that our community or certain members of our community put me through. So I learned that. It's like, wow, okay. And then so the second time I ran, it was like, and, I, and, and by the way, the first time I got like 11% of the vote, and that was an open seat. Matt Driscoll had termed out, was an open seat. So everybody in, in their cousin ran, and I got 11%. In my second run, it was sort of the same thing, but slightly different, you know? Well, he just doesn't have the experience. And I'm like, okay. By this time, I've been working in the political process for over 24 years. How much more experience do I need? But some of the same stuff, but not as much. Just, you know, he doesn't have enough experience. And, oh, he didn't have public office before. You know, some of that same stuff was kind of relevant. And, and through that election, I got 25%, you know. So I've learned that, one, you have to be persistent. Two, you have to continue to display who you are and what you bring to the table. And don't allow anyone, and when I say anyone, I mean anyone, to marginalize you as an individual and your skill set and what you bring to the table. Because trust me, when I first ran, not only was I marginalized by my own community, but by the media, it was like, when I ran, it was like every time they mentioned me, I was an afterthought. I was never considered a serious candidate or a person who really had the potential of winning. And this is the crazy thing. Those individuals who did that knew I really did have the potential of winning. If folks came out and voted and not allowed the noise to stop them from actually voting for me. So they knew. They knew that, man, this guy, you know, really has the potential of winning. Because I'm not, you know, bragging, but I was sharp. I knew the issues. I spoke specifically to the issues. I was able to pontificate with the best of them in understanding the finance of city operation and city government. So it was individuals who knew that Man, this, this fella really has an opportunity. But they use other people in our communities to be the mouthpiece to speak against me. So I learned that. So this time around, how do you deal with that? How do you distance yourself from that? How do you bring yourself or present yourself, I should say, as a real candidate, as a serious candidate to be taken seriously? One thing I have not done is I haven't changed my message. My message was authentic and real eight years ago. 
and it's authentic and real today. So I've been consistent with my message and you can go back and fact check the things that I talk about now are the things that I talked about eight years ago and quite frankly, some of the things and ideas and concepts that I had then were, shall I say, adopted by individuals in this current administration. But if you have an idea and you have thought out that idea from a very pragmatic perspective, I can't implement your idea with the same vigor and it works because it wasn't my idea. So I take everything that I've done over the past few years and when I ran and I move that into my current run along with growth because I've matured. You know, eight years ago, I dealt with things that I shouldn't have dealt with in terms of just coming at, you know, coming from different angles that was about, you know, though they were true, it just didn't need to be dealt with at that time. You know, so I, I've grown in terms of understanding that every battle doesn't need to be, you don't have to rage war with every battle. But you pick your battles and you display your greatness at every opportunity and not allow it to chance. Lessons that I've learned over my times of running. Understanding that, you know, being gracious all the time goes a long way. Understanding that I won't allow not just the media or people in the community to marginalize me. I won't allow anybody to marginalize me. Always speak truth to power. And understanding that if you're going to interview me or you're gonna to talk to me, you either gonna use what I give you or just write your story without me. You know, and that's something that I've said to all the outlets, you know, in this current run. And I, if, I don't know if you had the opportunity to read my piece in the Syracuse News Times. They, they had me on the cover. But that piece, you know, and I really give the Syracuse News Time and Walt Shepard, who wrote the story, a lot of credit. A lot, I get kudos to them because they didn't edit and alter my story. Only I can tell my story. Only I can give you my vision. I've learned to say that, listen, if you want to interview me and you want my story, then tell my story. Or if you can't do that, you send me your questions. I'll respond to your questions in writing. And if you choose to only print half of what I said, I'll upload what I put out on my website of what I told you so that people can say, oh, okay, well, I see what you printed, but this is what he said, and I'll put it in its proper context. And so you learn how to deal, how to do those things because, you know, not everybody supports you. And some people, they say, oh, well, we're doing it for editing purposes or just to, no, not really. You're doing it to be harmful, you know, and things were done to be harmful to me. Appreciate those learnings. Any others that you would care to, to add to that list? Um, just really understanding that, you know, our, our community and some people, and I've heard this, that, you know, people said, well, you know, he didn't come and knock on my door. And, and my goal is to knock on every single door, but that is humanly impossible because you can't. And so I'll do my best to knock on 
more doors. My goal is to knock on, you know, at least 30,000 doors. But I'll do my very best. But what I don't want people to do, and I've said this and I say this and I'll continue to say it, is don't, don't penalize me because I couldn't come and knock on your door personally. If a volunteer knocks on your door and you just have to see me, then let that volunteer know that you need me to come knock on your door specifically. Or better yet, come to the campaign headquarters once we have a place. Or catch me at the gas station because I, I get my gas where most of the people in this community get their gas from. Catch me at the grocery store. You know, you, you'll see me out and about in our community at a restaurant, frequenting some restaurant or, or some grocery store or some gas station. Stop me and ask your question or pull me aside. But don't penalize me if I don't come and knock on your door specifically. You know, because that, that happened to me. You know, and, and, and some people have said it to me. And I said, okay, well, you know, I want to try to get at your door. If I can, great. But if I don't, please don't penalize me. A couple more questions. So we've, we've been talking about national politics as, as well as local politics. And we understand that we live in a very divided country, potentially a very divided community, especially with the metropolitan issues. What would be your approach to establishing and maintaining unity in the city of Syracuse once becoming mayor? My approach is kind of simple, but it's a complex implementation. The simpleness of it is that you have to look at the very least of them, those who feel disenfranchised, marginalized, and who've been victimized in many cases. And we have to let those communities know that one, you are an asset and you're not a liability. Two, what you say or what you do matters to this administration and how we can help you feel more connected is very important. And I think when you can begin to change how a person views not just the city of Syracuse but the administration and the government even down to the police and the various departments that they have interaction with on a daily basis, when you can begin to change those perceptions of how people currently feel, then people begin to feel more a part of a community, a system that is for them and not against them. Because in many instances in the city of Syracuse, most people will tell you, a lot of people in a lot of communities, particularly those communities that are suffering, will tell you they don't feel a part of the city of Syracuse. They don't feel connected to the city of Syracuse. I want you to understand that your opinion, your thought, your concerns matter to this administration. And I think when you do that, you can really begin to bridge some of these communities together. Sadly to say that this current administration in the White House has had a lot to do with dividing our communities, even downtown, where we sit right now, this place that we sit in right now. I don't think that he would mind me saying this because I've been helping him trying to um, retain, get some things back that was taken away from him. But we have officers in this community who patrol the downtown, who are ranked officers, I believe they're sergeants, told the owner of this place, told his mother, that we're gonna shut you down 
because you have those people coming downtown. So I said, well, who in the heck are those people? And she said, well, you know, we have Spanish night on Saturdays. Fridays, generally, the African-American community. So I said, you got to be kidding me. She said, no, those were his exact words. And today, they have done literally everything to shut this place down. Took his entertainment license. Every situation that occurs downtown, if it's a fight at the corner bar, which is around the corner, and it was a shooting over there, you remember that, right? A couple months ago. The corner bar is right down the street there, right on the corner. A guy walked in there, had his gun on him. They knew he had his gun, they let him in. Served him alcohol. He came out, got into an altercation, killed somebody right on that street over there. This is what the police said. We're not gonna put that on the bar. The, the two officers that patrol this area, the, the, the two particular officers, every situation that happens downtown, they put it on the blackout. It's literally in the reports. Don't they have any recourse though? Can't they appeal it? Yeah, but this is one of the things that I found out recently. One of the uh, sergeants who was doing this also serves on the ABC board. Wouldn't that be a conflict of interest? One would think, right? You know, so when we talk about communities and how do we bridge our communities, when you got police officers who are saying to an establishment that we're gonna shut you down because you have those people downtown, so what, you and I aren't welcome downtown? That's problematic. In a big way. In a big way. That's real. That's happening to this place right now. I've met with the chief of police, city council people, trying to support, trying to say, hey, wait a minute. This is not fair. Things like that will not happen under my administration. Everybody will have the freedom to do business. And if you're a problem, then you will be dealt with systematically. But I'm not gonna have nobody deciding because you don't like the group of people or the race of people or the dress of people that they can't come downtown because you said so as an officer. That is crazy. Is there anything that you would like to say to the potential voters, somebody who's undecided just now hearing of Alfonso Davis's name uh, along with the other candidates and quite honestly is trying to decide whom they are going to vote for. What would you say to that person? I would say to that person, I would hope that you have had an opportunity to, to uh, read the things that I've written that's out there about me, that I put out there not someone else's commentary, because that may not always be the most constructive piece. But it's from Syracuse.com, the article, our website, to read my vision. And when you read my vision, think of yourself and what do you want for this city? And whether or not if my vision meshes with what you want of this city. And to believe in me or believe as I believe 
that I have the potential to do great things for this city and great things for this community. And so when you are deciding, look deep into yourself and say, does this man or does his vision mesh with my vision and my purpose and what I want for my community and what I want for myself? And no matter your social, economic, or racial background, if you want and believe in promise, I am pretty certain that my vision is the only vision that mesh with the people in the city of Syracuse. And so I say with that being said, on September 12th, I don't want you to just vote, but I want you to vote for me specifically. Give me an opportunity to show you what solid quality leadership should be and what it really looks like. Alfonso Davis, I really appreciate the opportunity to sit with you and talk with you today. I wish you luck in your campaign. Thank and you all very of you much. And in all of your ventures and all of your endeavors. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. To learn more about Alfonso Davis's campaign for mayor of Syracuse, you can go to his website at alfonsodavis.ngpvanhost.com. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.